forward button here. And uh, before we go to Job, uh, if you go to the book of Romans, I wanted to uh, bring out a couple things there that does connect with the book of Job. So this is week week number 11. We're on Job chapter 9. And uh, we talked about Job's calamity that chapters 1 and 2 where he lost all his possessions. He lost a lot of his servants. Uh, basically he has no source of income. And uh, it's been several months. And he lost his health. We don't see any more interaction with his wife and so Job's life has been reduced to pretty much nothing he's lost everything but he's got three friends that have come to him to uh, comfort him and to mourn with him and they're not very good comforters they were pretty good mourners and so he uh, had some interaction with Eliaphaz that was in a couple chapters and he responded to him and then uh, one chapter was connected to Bildad and now today we're going to see Job's response to his friends and one of the things he says here and I put it up on the screen you're, the first two verses of Job chapter 9 then Job answered and said I know it is so of a truth but how should a man be just with God and so he doesn't argue with Bildad but th- this is a question that's a good question isn't it? how can a man be just with God and unfortunately for Job he did not have the New Testament but we do so we are going to look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 and I'm going to go there in my Bible too so we're going to see in this day and age, this dispensation that we live in called the uh, dispensation of grace or sometimes it's been called the church age that we live in. And so we are living in a time after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so this is... uh, uh, Hey, good morning. Hi. Good to see you. Yeah, you've got me for about... 30 minutes. All right. I'm going to give you all the truth that I can in 30 minutes then, Franny. We've got uh, yeah, we've got the hand out there on the table in front of you, but Romans chapter 3 and verses 24 through 26. And I'm going to Start up here with Angie if I can. I, you always start in the back so I'm doing uh, I'm sorry. Okay, what are we on? No, let me uh, start somewhere else. Oh, it starts back there. So. Pat, have you got it? Which have you got Romans? Yeah. Uh, 3, 24 to 26. Okay. It says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. <coughs> okay, and, and so Franny, on the overhead up here, uh, Job asked this question in verse 2. How... Get my pointer... 
don't know if you can see it or not, but how should a man be just with God? And just has to do with justice or fairness. And how can a man be right or justified with God since we are sinners? And so the verses that Pat read are a pretty good explanation of it, that we're freely justified by His grace that's in Christ Jesus. And uh, the last part that you read, a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So we, we can be just before God through our faith in Christ. Amen? And that it, it's by his grace. It's nothing we've earned. And uh, when, when you think of uh, grace... You think of unmerited favors, like you can't you can't earn it, and you know we even say that uh, you know that's a graceful person, or um, uh, you've heard of a dancer like she moves so gracefully, and and what what that means is that uh, she moves almost without effort. Grace is like it's so effortlessly you you can't work for grace, otherwise it's not grace. And so uh, there's two more places here in Romans. Look at 425. It might be on the same page. 425 of Romans. It says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification? And someone once said that uh, being justified is... Is like being just as if I'd never sinned, justified, just as if I'd never sinned, and so you're you're brought into a right relationship with God. Whereas in the Old Testament, you know, sin was covered; it was atoned for. But in the New Testament, it's taken away. It's by the blood of Christ. There's no more bulls and goats, no more sacrifices, because Christ was the sacrificial lamb, which taketh away the sin of the world. And there was uh, one more place there in Romans uh, 5, 16. And uh, Jimmy, do you have that? 5, 16 through 18? <clears throat> and, not as, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men and the justification of life. So it, it's a free gift. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift. And the key with the gift is you have to receive it, right? You have to uh, otherwise, and you have to really open it, or it's, you know, Christmas is coming, and. Uh, you know, you don't receive the benefits of a gift unless you open it. So Christ died for everyone, but each one of us has to receive that gift, and in it we get eternal life. We are justified freely by the death of this one, uh, Christ Jesus. So, <clears throat> so notice that Bildad, uh, Job does not argue with Bildad, and and what I have in your your blank there. <clears throat> 
is that Job essentially agrees with Bildad's truth and all of these men agree foundationally with truth about God and what he said and what he's like. The issue is how they apply that truth. So that is that is uh, our need as well as theirs to apply the truth so that's what I had to put in your first blank uh, if you have your handout <clears throat> and so this was one of life's most, most important questions if not the most in question how can we be right with God and through Jesus Christ and faith in him uh, we can be justified and uh, add a, have a relationship with God it's we, we can be reconciled to him through Christ. And that's uh, John 14.6. That was our verse when we were in London on our mission trip. Uh, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. So he is the not only the way, he's the only way. <clears throat> and uh, so in verse 3, so we're, we're in Job chapter 9, and we read 1 and 2 on the overhead here. And uh, if uh, Heather, would you read verse three for us, nine three of Job? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like. You know, if we were come in uh, to do battle with the Lord, you know, we we couldn't answer His question. And and you'll notice a lot of this in this chapter in particular is very uh, some legal things. So it's almost like Job's on trial. And if if you were on trial and God is questioning you, like I couldn't answer one in a thousand of God's questions, right? In fact. Uh, uh, hold your place here and just look at Job 38 because God does ask Job some questions in chapter 38. And uh, when I was in shepherd school uh, and we were studying the book of Job, uh, it was told us that at some seminary somewhere, at some time, I can't remember, but this there was a, a, a seminary professor listed out these questions and, and there's close to 40 questions in this chapter and he gave that to the students as a quiz or as a test and you know you could maybe answer one or two of these but in Job 38 <clears throat> I mean look at verse 4 38 4. God is asking Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, uh, you know, verse 5. Who hath laid the foundations thereof, if thou knowest? Well, we would say God. <clears throat> uh, or who hath stretched the line upon it, like measured the distance between here and there? And whereupon the, are the foundations thereof fastened? So. You know, who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? So all there's like almost forty questions in this chapter, and and so you can imagine being the recipient of those questions, and it would be pretty hard to answer. That's what Job's saying back in Job nine. 
you know, if I will contend, you know, if you enter into contention with God, you know, you can't, you know, put up your dukes with Him. And uh, Heather read verse four as well. Um, it says in verse 4 he is wise in heart and mighty in strength and uh, I put in your blank that he's not just mighty he's called the almighty can anybody think of a a theological word for that for almighty omnipotent all powerful so God is omnipotent he's all powerful and so uh, that's part of his nature. So, so God, uh, Job is acknowledging that he isn't uh, uh, harboring unconfessed sin because he he knows he can't win. He, if he had to enter into contention or ask questions or do some kind of challenge of strength with God, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win that contest. And then it says. Uh, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble <clears throat> I listed for you on your handout a verse from Proverbs it says wisdom hath builded her house she hath hewn out her seven pillars so there's there's these pillars that are at least metaphorically holding the earth if, if not literally uh, you know we know very little about the center of the earth so but uh, God used his wisdom to build uh, this house and she has hewn out her seven pillars so but this shaking of the pillars uh, this could be a reference to the fall of Lucifer so I thought we would all the the word Lucifer is only one time in our Bible it's in Isaiah 14 so let's go there together and see if this sounds some like somewhat like what we just read here in Job. So go to three or four books to the right. The uh, major prophet of Isaiah. Well, now I can't find it. It's before Jeremiah, isn't it? Okay. I got to Jeremiah and kept going. Ah. Uh, yeah, 14 of Isaiah. <clears throat> so here's a reference in our Bible to Lucifer. And uh, that name literally means light bearer. And so we're going to read 12 through 17. I'll read those so I can comment on them. But 14:12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And then it calls him uh, Son of the Morning. And some translations call him, uh, it it says Morning Star there in some translations. But uh, the reason that's not quite right is because Jesus is called the Bright Morning Star. And so Lucifer is called Son of the Morning. Christ is called Morning Star back in Peter. It says, How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? So this is, this is talking about a time before uh, before the fall of man. This is when he was called Lucifer before his fall. Verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will, there's five I wills here, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So he basically was built up with pride and he wanted to uh, be equal to and take the place of God. And, And so yet it says in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Maybe a reference to the uh, bottomless pit. Verse 16, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that, there it is, made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? And and that's what Job is saying, similar things. He said, uh, Shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. That's very similar to verse 16. And then verse 17 says that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. So uh, anyway, it's very insightful there about the fall of Lucifer. We won't necessarily talk more about it, but uh, Job, uh, some of this is some oral tradition that's passed down and maybe he's uh, referencing these things. And I gave you on your handout that uh, this also, you know, whenever it says uh, in verse 5 that that God removeth mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, you know, that, that very likely could be a reference to the flood, right? And, uh, I know Franny hasn't been here the whole time, and uh, but I had a see if I can bring this up fairly quickly now that I've got got uh, a mouse, and Jim got me. We got connected to the internet, but uh, I don't know how well you can see this. That's not what I needed. But this, uh, this vertical line here represents the flood of Noah. And so I think there's about, I don't have the date, 2,000 some years before the flood. I think it's about almost 2,500 years. But Job lived, you know, just a few hundred years after the flood. And so when he's talking about God moving mountains and overturneth them in his anger, he could be referencing the flood because that did, you know, if, if an atheist were reading this, he, he would be like, well, tectonic plates and water pressure and all this forms or moves mountains. But. The Bible here says that that God did that. And uh, kind of the application to you and I is just that in the New Testament, Christ says if we have faith as a mustard seed, it'll move mountains, doesn't it? If we just had a little bit of faith. And so there may be mountains in your life today or, or my life. And so... God, God literally moved mountains during the flood and 
you know, even when he comes back again, it says his foot comes down on the Mount of Olives and it, it splits. He he splits the Mount of Olives when he returns. And uh, I, I was actually on the Mount of Olives uh, a couple years ago. And so anyway, it's uh, kind of wild to think about all this. Uh, how literal and how anyway all these verses are just kind of pregnant with meaning aren't they you can just you can just kind of go and go and go on some of this any any other thoughts or questions uh, if not let's read verse 7 uh, Emmett would you read 9-7 for us which commandeth the son and and so that's a pretty wild thought even commanding the sun for it not to rise and there is actually an example in the Bible uh, with Joshua that uh, God made the sun stand still for about a day and so he, he can do these things I gave you that reference and there is even a reference in the future where uh, the sky is darkened you know and so it, it doesn't shine even in the tribulation period there's some time where and I gave you the reference from Acts there but there's other references prophetically speaking about this and so in verse 8 uh, Pam if you'll read that it kind of goes with verse 7 which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea yeah, so so God is in control. That's what we're saying. He can make the sun to shine or not. He can move mountains. And here it says, He treadeth upon the waves of the sea. And Pam, what do you think? What does that make you think of? God treading on the tre- waves of the sea. Jesus. It does. Doesn't he Jesus walked on water, and uh, one of the New Testament references calls it a sea. It was the Sea of Galilee. And so we, we actually took a boat out on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that was that was one of the more weird experiences because you would think we'd have a devotion out there, but uh, they played contemporary Christian music like blaring loud. You couldn't hardly talk to people. So we had a boat of about 40 people on this boat, and it just went out and turned around. We played this loud Christian music the whole time, and uh, so everybody's clapping and. It's just really it was a really a different experience than what you would think, and uh, that was our Sea of Galilee experience. <clears throat> but anyway, it was it was cool to be there, and uh, they they actually had a museum. Uh, this is pretty wild. Uh, they have a two thousand year old boat, and they they think it was right around the time of Christ, and uh, they they showed how. You know, it was so brittle and falling apart, they somehow had to insert foam to get this boat out of the mud that they found, and then somehow remove all the foam. And it's, it's about as long as this room. And, uh, you know, they speculate if that was, you know, one that caught the fishes or at the time of Christ. I mean, yeah. they commercialized. Yeah, there's no way you could know, but it was about a two. And so it was just. You know, completely almost falling apart, and it was just over the railing. You couldn't touch it, and so it was all suspended there, kind of in air, so you could kind of walk all around it. Yeah, it was. That was in the museum at the end, but anyway, uh, a little bit about. Uh, and then I thought I. This is another wild thought. As you think about this, hold your place here and look to the right to Psalm 148. 
and maybe you have never seen this before, but there's several references to this in the Bible. Because, yeah, if you talk about God treading upon the waves of the sea, and then you read Psalm 148, in verse 4, uh, Tracy, would you care to read this morning 148 of Psalms? In verse 4. Verse 4, okay. Um, praise Him, your highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Yeah, so that it's saying that there's waters that be above the heavens. And uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but uh, if... If this is Earth, and uh, there's a little shell around the Earth we call the atmosphere, and uh, the Bible calls that the first heaven, and it, it's about six or seven miles above the Earth before you get in out of the Earth's atmosphere. And the Bible talks about birds flying in, in the heaven. Uh, so the Bible actually talks about this. And then there's a second heaven, you know, where the the moon and the stars and the sun is. And uh, this is the second heaven. And the Bible does refer to that as, as a heaven. Uh, the stars in the heavens, and um, when he's creating, he, he talks about there's a firmament, a firmament that divides uh, the waters above from the waters below, and there is a third heaven, is the abode of God, right? And uh, and so. You know, it's it's saying that there's waters that be above the heavens, above the first and second heaven. There's two heavens, and there's waters that be above the heavens, and that that's the abode of God. It's the third heaven, and, and God treadeth upon those waters. So that that's another meaning of this, isn't it? And it's really wonderful to think about that. And uh, Job. There's a verse in Psalm that says that deep answereth to deep. So there, there's, you know, there's waters down here. I should have put it in blue, but and there's waters up here, and it says deep answereth to deep, and and Job describes that uh, the deep is frozen, and we think that this could be the crystal sea that's before the throne of God. The, the Revelation talks about the crystal sea, and we even sing about that in one of our old hymns. And so, anyway, it's it's really wonderful to think that Jesus walked upon these waters, and uh, He walks upon these waters as well, doesn't He? He treads upon the the waters, the waves of the sea. And so, anyway, uh, it's really fascinating. So, uh, and we believe that you know <clears throat> we don't know how deep these waters are, but. Uh, you know that in in a way God has kind of quarantined sin to the first and second heaven, and and so he he's above that and he's kind of blocked out uh, 
sin and kind of quarantined it to planet Earth, and even so, so that's where Lucifer was was uh, kicked out of the third heaven, and uh, <clears throat> Paul actually, it's mentioned one time, Paul went to paradise, the third heaven. So the Bible actually does talk about that. I think it's 2 Corinthians 12. And uh, he, we think it was when he was uh, stoned to death. And he, he said, I ascended to the third heaven, the paradise of God. He said, I don't know if I was in, in the body or out of body. But he heard things that were unlawful for him to speak about. So he had a true uh, out-of-body experience. And so anyway, uh, so the Bible does mention all three heavens. And this was just a good place to bring that up. Uh, now, verse 9. Let's, yeah, Franny, you had a question or thought? Okay. I'm kind of... Uh, your 30 minutes are up. you got to go. Okay. Most of the time, pretty dense. Number one. Question number one. Uh, do you have a verse exactly for the first heaven? Okay. Talking about the first heaven. Number two, do you have one for the second heaven verses? Number three, for the third heaven verses? Um, I'll, yep. I'll stop at that. Yep. Well, if, if you're still in Psalm 148, they're actually all three mentioned right there. If you're, okay. let's go to Psalm 148 <coughs> again. <coughs> I can read past No, that's all right. Uh, let me get there. I just. Uh, yeah. So verse 1 of Psalm 148, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. So that uh, praise ye Him all His angels, praise ye Him all His hosts. So that kind of is a reference. It doesn't say third heaven there. It does It does in 2 Corinthians. It mentions third heaven. But you can tell that's the abode of God because they're praising Him. The angels are. Verse 3, Praise ye Him sun and moon. Praise ye Him, all ye stars of light. So there's the sun and the moon. That's the second heaven. And uh, if you jump down to verse 8, it says, A fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. And that that's kind of the, the, the first heaven, if you will. So anyway, that's just loosely... Uh, but I, I can find some references where the... Verse 4, yeah, heaven is... Heavens of Does it? The first four right after. Okay. Verse four yeah. of the. Heavens of heavens and then the waters that be above the heavens. That's the first four. Okay. There. Yeah. So that separates the third heaven. Very good. Thank you. I stopped too soon, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Jeremiah's got some. Joe 26 has some. There's quite a few places I've laid out. Hey, Franny, have you ever been through uh, the D2? Uh, no. That that might be a good option, even because I know they talk a little more about that and the fall of Lucifer and different things. That's but interesting too, even unsaved man, i.e., NASA, uses nautical terms to describe the second heaven. And like how? Like astronaut. Yeah. Not, you know, it's in deep space, and there's a lot of stuff. The constellations are named after like nautical water, nautical. Things. Okay. Yep. And we have spaceships. Yeah. And uh, 
that's good. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, all of this is just really wonderful. I, I like. Uh, but look at verse nine. In fact, uh, for anyone, once you read uh, Job nine and verse nine. Which make, oh, you would. <laughs> oh, Arcturus, I think. Yeah. Uh, which make us Arcturus, Orion, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the sex. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you would. <laughs> uh-huh. So I put a cup, I brought a couple pictures for you. Uh, whoop, I don't know how well you can see that but uh, yeah the big dippers right there and some people extend the handle all the way down to Octurus so this is Octurus it's in this constellation called Booties Botez what do you say it Pleiades Pleiades, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Hold on a second. So, uh, my notes just say that Octurus is part of uh, the big bear. I, I think some translations of the Bible read bear instead of Octurus, <clears throat> but we're going to say with Octurus. And it's part of the Big Dipper handle, and it's in the north. That, that's what I, this is what I learned from this. And then uh, you mentioned Orion. Let's see if I can. Uh, nope. So Orion is kind of known as the hunter. So this is kind of the constellation Orion. It, it looks like someone with a bow. And uh, you've heard of maybe Orion's belt. I think that was in Men in Black. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very popular. <laughs> You're laughing. You remember, don't you? There's <laughs> the dog. Yeah, yeah. It had. Anyway, yeah. But this this constellation is part of uh, in the West. And historically, it's referenced as being uh, Nimrod or the hunter. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, the Bible says. So anyway, uh, some of these things have been corrupted by you know, Greek mythology and things. But uh, historically, uh, and Pat and I talked a little bit about this last night, just that... Uh, these were, you know, visual signs, and the stars kind of told a story. And uh, you know, even Virgo, the Virgin. You, there's some very biblical things about our constellations, and uh, so Greek mythology and uh, astrology have kind of corrupted these things. Uh, but then it also talks about Pleiades that uh, Pam mentioned. And there's some of these that had, this says that Pleiades is in the constellation Taurus, and there's more than seven names here, but I I think some of these are kind of grouped together, but anyway, it's called the Seven Sisters, and the thing that... uh, I I remember most of having studied this in the part, but uh, in the past. But uh, so it's in the east. So 
Octurus was in the north and uh, Orion was in the west and Pleiades in the east these, but these seven sisters if you had a map of Turkey and you could see the seven stars of of uh, Revelation 1 uh, 1, 2, and 3 that talk about those seven churches the map almost ident- is identical to the seven sisters and the cool part about that that I remember uh, learning is that to the naked eye you can only see six of these you almost have to get binoculars or a telescope to see all seven of them and the seventh one that you can't see with your naked eye is where Laodicea would be so it's the weakest and so Laodicea so anyway it's just really cool things from nature from you know we, we do believe in astronomy but not astrology and so there's just a lot of neat things we can learn from the word of God from nature and that was that was one of uh, that I learned like wow and I actually tried to do that when we had one of our star parties. We we used to have some gospel outreach, and I remember lining it up with a telescope and seeing the seven sisters of Pleiades, and you can't see one of them with the naked eye, but with binoculars you could. <clears throat> so anyway, it's uh, and then this this chambers of the south. So he even mentions the south here. And some people think it's this cloud of Magellan, and there's kind of a a large cloud and a small cloud. So, you know, if you Google these, you can find all of them. But uh, this one, I don't really have much to say about it. It's just kind of a I don't know exactly what this, but anyway, this is one in the south. This cloud of of Magellan. And so this could be the chambers of the south, but the interesting thing about that is that you can't actually see that from Palestine. So it's almost as if God had to supernaturally tell him things that he could not see. Yeah, so Job Job is, uh, there's some kind of deep things here, and we'll just keep moving. We want to get through all these verses if we can. Uh, verse 10 which doeth great things past finding out yea and wonders without number and so God does many things that we know nothing about doesn't he and if you try to think of something that he hasn't thought of you you can't so <clears throat> uh, there, there's a there's a verse in Romans that says almost the exact same thing that God's ways are past finding out. Uh, read verse 11, uh, back up here to Angie, 9-11. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Have you ever looked back and thought, man, God did that? And But at the time, it's like, you're not even aware of it. God did something great, and you're just you pass. It says God passes me by, and I don't even know it. And and uh, that's what Hebrew. I, I should have put that verse in Hebrews. It says we've entertained angels unaware. We, we've been unaware that we've even been around spiritual things at times. So Job, Job is pointing that out. 
And then uh, verse 12, uh, Chuck, would you, this Chuck up here, 12, uh, 9, 12. Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, what does thou? So I, I just put the word hinder in your blank. You know, we can't stop God. He's, he's, he's God and we're not. Uh, he's going to do things and he's going to fulfill his plan uh, either with our help. Uh, there, is, there is a place in the Bible that says that we can limit God. It says that in uh, Psalms. You know, it could be that God wants to use you in some way and if you're unwilling, you know, he'll, he'll use somebody else and even in uh, Matthew 13, the last few verses, it says that Christ was not able to do many miracles in his hometown of Nazareth because of their unbelief. And so I think uh, ultimately we can't hinder God, but we, we do limit him uh, in some way. So, and then verse the next verse, uh, Pat, what is that one, 13? 13. If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under. And the thing I read on that, he thought the writer thought maybe these proud helpers were a reference to Job's friends. It's like he called Job, he called his friends these proud helpers, uh, maybe. And then uh, fourteen and fifteen, Heather, would you read those? How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Whom though I were righteous, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. So, if if God was our judge, and He is. Uh, I think Job's basically saying uh, what we've told people, even in court, just throw yourself at the mercy of the court. You know, you might think you're righteous, but even if you are, you still are a sinner. And uh, he said, I, I would not make, uh, or his supplication would be, you know, have mercy, Lord. Now, uh, I entered at the bottom of your handout, I. I I gave you a word that's not found in the Bible. And so my teaching point is we we can't fight God and win. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And we should tremble at His word. So the word tremble... I mean, that, that word was in the text. But uh, then I gave you a definition for sovereign. It means supreme in power, possessing supreme power... And absolute sovereignty belongs to God only. So we might say that the USA is a sovereign nature, a na- nation because we govern ourselves and we have dominion over, the government uh, has dominion over the USA, but uh, only God has absolute power. And, and it's said that in the text there. So, so God is sovereign. He's overall and Job is uh, really commenting, you know, God, how powerful you are. You've, you've made all these things. You've shaken the earth. You've moved mountains. you got these constellations in the northeast, south, and west. You're doing so many things past finding out. And so uh, Job essentially is trembling at the power of God. And, 
And there's a verse in Isaiah that talks about trembling at the word of God. All right, this the last half of this chapter in 15 minutes are going to be uh, there's there's seven ifs. So this is what goes in your blank. Just the word ifs. And what I mean by that is in verse 16 it says, If I had called. So that's the first of the seven ifs. <coughs> if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice? Uh, for he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. And... Uh, Verse 18, He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. And so my, my comments here, just as uh, you know, Job is just so broken, he can't comprehend even if God did answer him. But this, uh, this phrase at the end of verse 17, He multiplieth my wounds without cause. He's, he's, historically, he's maintaining that I don't have any hidden sin that has caused this great calamity. There, there, these wounds are, that I have are without cause from his perspective. And, uh, and we, we said in verse uh, in 2-3 it says almost exact same thing. That this is a reference to Christ. That uh, Jesus himself said that they hated me without a cause. And so we, we said that... Uh, not only is Job a type of the Jew in the tribulation that's being persecuted, but also he's a type of Christ on the cross. And look at verse 18 there. He will not suffer me to take my breath. And, uh, you know, crucifixion is like that, isn't it? That when you're hanging on the cross, you're, it, it stretches your diaphragm because of the weight of your body is hanging on your arms that you can't catch your breath and it says he take and that that's why they they push up with their feet so they can breathe and then they hang down again is is my understanding it's just so uh, brutal which is why they break their leg which is why they break their leg or they did break the so that they couldn't lift themselves up and they would essentially suffocate <clears throat> and so again this is he's a type of Christ on the cross and then uh, everybody look at Hebrews with me because this, this word bitterness goes in your next blank. Just the word bitterness. But look at Hebrews 12. And I'll just let somebody else read this so I don't have to turn there. Uh, 12.15. Uh, Emmett, are we over to you, brother? Hebrews 12.15 we'll wait I'll drink my water (laughs) 12.15 by standing man fail in the grace of God, by standing with a, a bitterness spring, springing up trouble, and thereby 
So that called a, a root of bitterness, and you, you think about a root, it's just being under the ground, and I can't see bitterness in anyone, and you can't see bitterness in me, but there could be a root there, and it says that if it it springs up, it could defile many, right? And so that uh, Job is becoming bitter here, and... So this is something we need to be very careful about even in our own lives, just that we don't grow bitter or hardened or callous-hearted uh, because you know it could spring up and defile many, not just affect yourself and your own attitude. So we need to be uh, forgiving, we need to be loving, and uh, so did Job. He, what did it say there? He, he acted like he was filled with bitterness. And so that's he's not in a good place uh, spiritually, is he? So anyway, uh, verse 19. Let's go back to Job now. Here's the second if. Uh, Pam, would you read? I think just verse 19. 919. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if I judge, and if judgment, who shall set me aside to plead? Yeah, so earlier he talked about God being mighty and almighty and and strong, but now he he adds to that judgment. If I speak of judgment, so we, we can't contend with God with his strength, with his knowledge or his judgment, and uh, this set time to plead his cause. Uh, verse 20, uh, Tracy, you want to read verse 20? No, uh, back in Job 9. Sorry. <clears throat> I got you bouncing around. Uh, 9.20 If I justify myself... My own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Right, so he. Um, it's the same problem we all face. If we try to justify ourselves, we'll just get ourselves in a word hole, don't we? We, we, we entrap ourselves. Like, the more we talk. Yeah. So it's like. Oh, no, that's what the cops would use that strategy. Just let someone talk. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. So. But we do that even if we don't say it out. Yeah. 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 Luckily, luckily, I don't know what you're thinking, Pam. <laughs> so. Uh, who? Now this next section. Uh, 20, see, uh, 21 through 26. Uh, Franny, do you want to read all those? 21 through 26? Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will lie at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now my days are, are swifter than a post, 
they flee away, they see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that has them to the prey. Yeah. To the prey. Thank you. So there, there's a lot there. and he, So he, here's the fourth if statement. If I say I'm perfect, and, and we know that just means complete, not, not that he's sinless, but it means he's equipped and he's furnished unto all good works. And um, he's, he says there in, uh, at the end of verse 22, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. So God is not a respecter of persons. And so these, these are all things about uh, God. And then in the next verse, and I, I still struggle with this. Maybe you can help me. Verse 23, if the scourge slay suddenly he will laugh at the trial of the innocent and um, you know I, I referenced some things about Christ being scourged but the slaying the thing I was reading it references the destroyer like you know the the last plague upon Egypt is is the death of the firstborn and God sent forth a destroyer to kill those that didn't have the blood of the lamb and and the thing I was reading uh, then it cross references something in Revelation the uh, that Abaddon the, the star that fell that was called Apollyon it, that word means destroyer so I think there's some deeper things here about destroying and slaying than uh, I understand and the thing that I was confused is I'm not sure that God's doing destroyer or if he's allowing the devil to be the destroyer but uh, anyway there's just some more there than than the meets the eye, I think. But anyway, in verse 24, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Uh, you know, right now the devil's called the god of this world. It's it's a lowercase g. So right now the devil is uh, has dominion, even though God is overall. Uh, the devil has dominion. And it says there that the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. And I gave you a couple references there. And then uh, Franny read to us just about the uh, the brevity of life and how fast the post is. Uh, there's a reference in Jeremiah where they were sending a, a message by the hand of a post. So it, a post was like a runner. Like we have the postal service now. And it's, it's reference to this. Uh, post postman was a post was sending delivering a message of a king and they would give that to their fastest runner so they could take it to where it needed to go and then verse 27 and 8 uh, I think we're back up to Angie would you read 27 28 if I say I will forget my complaint I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Yeah. So Job, Job can't just forget his complaint, and, and if he could, he, he wouldn't be innocent. 
and so sometimes he alternates between talking to his friends and talking to God and I notice we, we do that sometimes even when we pray uh, almost like you almost might be talking to those that we're praying for and talking to God and so he kind of alternates a little bit there <clears throat> and in verse 29 it says if I be wicked then uh, why then labor I in vain and so it's it's kind of hypothetical he's if he had unconfessed sin, why is he working so hard to maintain his integrity? So it's a little bit hypothetical. And then uh, this last section, uh, Jim, I think I skipped you. Would you just read 30 through 35 and finish, finish this out? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall thou plunge me in a ditch, and mine own clothes shall adore for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak, and not fear him, but it is not so with me. <clears throat> Alright, so his seventh... Uh if statement was in verse 30 if I wash myself and he's saying if, if I if I could no matter how clean I am compared to God we look dirty right that's kind of the point of those verses <clears throat> and then it says in verse 32 that God is not a man and so uh, can, can you think of a time that God did become a man Sure. <laughs> yeah, so it was in the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? Christ, God became man uh, in the form of uh, baby Jesus. And so uh, God did become a man, but at this time uh, he's not a man. But then uh, the key here is in verse 33, neither is there any daysman. And... Uh, what is that a reference? What do you think that is? Like a mediator. It is. And and what what is a mediator? What are you thinking there? Between between God and man to help. Yeah. To, with the question of being justified. Yeah. Christ is mediator. That that's perfect. That's perfect. So uh, it's almost like an umpire or a referee. You know. God, you're holy and just, and uh, Steve, you are dirty and unjust, and I, I did, and so I just need a mediator. How do I get to God? And that is through the man Christ Jesus. And somebody uh, looked that up. Heather, would you look that up for me? Uh, the First Timothy two four. <clears throat> and uh, Pam, would you look up? Yeah, two four and five. Yeah. And Pam, would you look up the First John two one? Because both of these verses are kind of a reference to that daysman. Um, and I'll just put up this last blank here. Go ahead, Heather, when you get it.
It's all right. We are one minute over. Yeah, read yours, Pam, while we're looking at it. My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not may sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yeah, so if we sin, we have an advocate. So that's like a daysman in it. We have someone that will advocate for you. Uh, Two, two, verse four and five. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself ransom for all. That's it. He is the mediator, the man Christ Jesus. So. Job wished he could have this daysman that could lay his hand on each and bring them together and reconcile. And So my teaching point here is everyone needs a mediator between the holiness of God and the depravity of man. That, and I, I, I kind of introduced these two words partly for myself. Being sovereign and depra- depraved means, I had to look up this word, aviated means to render impure state of the heart. Wickedness, corruption of moral principles, destitution of holiness or good principles. That was that was uh, Webster's 1828. Is that what it is? 1828. 1828. Yeah. That's how he defined depravity. And I had to look up even his words. So anyway, well, we're over a little bit, but yeah, depravity goes in your your blank, your last blank there. And I'll close up there. And uh, Job 10 talks about uh, more of Job's response. So we'll look forward to picking that up next week. I know uh, Suzanne was joining us online as she was driving or she was going to. And so thank you for joining us, Heather. Or Heather. Sarah Elizabeth was on. Sarah Elizabeth. Oh, hey, Sarah. Dottie. Sherry was on there. Well, good morning uh, to all you ladies. Hopefully that made sense. Uh, I sent Suzanne a handout, so she's got that. And Anyway, if anybody needs a book, Heather, if you need to start a... I've got my book. Okay. So, all right. Well, let's close in prayer and uh, uh, get into main service. Heavenly Father, You said a lot there in these verses and last hour here, and so help us just to process these things and lay them to our own heart. We we know there are some that uh, friends, loved ones that we know that are not just before you yet. They have not had a mediator to come and introduce them to a holy Father. So God help us to be uh, somewhat of a, a mediator. Uh, with this ministry of reconciliation that we have. May we minister that to others. I do pray for each uh, one in this class that we might be mindful of just you didn't save us just so we can go to heaven one day. Just You want to use us while we're here. And so help us to find a purpose. Help us to find uh, our place in the body of Christ here. Uh, may you make us more faithful. May you uh, we just we're like Job. We uh, kind of throw ourselves at your mercy. Help us uh, in those areas we're weak in, and uh, keep 
keep uh, showing us from your word what you'd have us to know and to do and be and uh, make us more, uh, give us more unity one with another. And so bless our main service. I know uh, Brian Barry's here from uh, getting ready to go to Ireland. So we pray your blessing on him as he speaks and be with our pastor Brian as he's uh, out of town. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, you're dismissed. And uh, yeah, we got Brian Barry here with us today, I think. And so, Brian Hedges is up in Michigan. He's speaking at a conference up there, uh, I think with Brett Bartlett.